Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. Can we welcome him today? He rode into the city on this day. He let the world know he was not a normal king. He didn't come riding a steed, riding a war horse. One day he will, but he came as the Prince of Peace. And let's just welcome him here. Father, we love you. We thank you for this moment. And Jesus, we welcome you here. We cry Hosanna. And we know what it means. Lord, save us, not from a government, but save us from our sin. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood that atones for every sin. Thank you, Lord, for the goodness that you've given to us even to be here together. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know how to say this, but the last week that Jesus lived on this earth, historically, is this week. And we want you to walk with us every day. Now, here's how we're going to do it. We're going to follow his footsteps, and we're going to read a passage every morning together out of that day. Something he would have done. We can put it all in there because obviously it's too much. And the way it's going to happen is through the normal daily text that we get to take us to a scripture. Uh, Many of you already signed up and you're getting that. It'll automatically begin tomorrow morning. But if you've never signed up to get the scripture texted to you every morning, here's what you need to do. Take your phone out. I want you to text the word daily, D-A-I-L-Y, and text it to the number of heaven, 407. (laughs) All right? I remember a time where I didn't answer a phone call in Louisiana because I didn't know where 407 was. Now I know you got to know it to get to heaven, so I know where 407 (laughs) is. 40777, text the word daily. And that means you're going to be signed up to join us. And every day, we're going to read what he had. The only, day, the only day following the classic chronology. Now, there's a lot of debate. Just trust me, there's a lot of debate on the days. But the chronology that's traditional, we don't know what he did on Wednesday. I think he went to First Baptist Jerusalem to prayer meeting or something. I don't know. We just don't know. We know what he did Thursday. We know what he did Tuesday. He stood on the southern steps and he taught for hours and he was questioned by those trying to kill him. And we know what he did on this day. He rode into the city on a donkey. And I want you to turn to the Gospel of Mark. It, Mark tells the story. Mark does it in a concise way. So I want us to read it together. And, and I want to tell you that The reason I want us to start with what happened on this day is because there was someone in the crowd that day. I want you to meet them. I believe with all my heart, and I tell you, if if I'm wrong, find me in heaven and say, hey, you were wrong. All right, just 
Trust me. I believe he was there. And I believe he might have been one of the only ones who really knew who Jesus was and saw who he was. But let's start with the account, okay? And the account is amazing. He comes on a donkey. He comes with people crying out and casting palm branches. David McKenna once said that if your version of Christianity is represented by a leader on a prancing horse at the head of a conquering army showing off his trophies, uh, well, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is more of a defeat for you than a victory because that's not how he came. That's how he's going to come one day. But on this day, he came in a different way. And the crowds were there. And they were all mixed, literally. And I want us to read the account. We're just going to read a few verses out of Mark's gospel, chapter 11. Chapter 11, the gospel of Mark, I'm going to read starting in verse 7. And you follow along with me. We'll get the account in front of us. And they brought the colt, or the donkey, to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. And he sat on it, and many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. Now that's the account. What I don't understand is how could that crowd not see who he was? Because there was another crowd gathered by the end of this week on Friday, and they were not shouting Hosanna. They were shouting, crucify him. So how do you go one day saying Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, to the next day shouting Crucify him. Well, it's kind of the way it is even with us. They weren't all there for the same reason. They weren't all there to see the They didn't all see who he really is. There were some there just because he'd done miracles. There were some there that were looking for a political Messiah. In fact, the word Hosanna means God save us. And it was used during a, a period of time that you will know because of every year we celebrate Hanukkah. The Jews celebrate Hanukkah, and that's related to a war that happened in 165 B.C. called the Maccabean Revolt. And that was a revolt that happened because there was a Syrian king named Antiochus Epiphanes who dis, I mean, literally just destroyed the, tried to destroy the faith of the Jews. And desecrated everything. He brought a pig into the altar of the Holy of Holies. And there was a man named Judas Maccabeus that said, enough is enough. And it's time to fight. And they did. And their battle cry was, Hosanna. Now, they would say it with a sense of, save us from this pagan government. And there were those gathered that day that just knew he was going to overthrow Rome. He was going to defeat Rome. There's still those who believe that he came to save us politically. He came to save us from our sin, not from the White House, not from any government organization. Your greatest problem is not who's in the White House, it's who's inside of you. 
Sin is the big issue for every one of us. And he came to beat that sin, literally to forgive. But they didn't understand it then. Do we understand it now? Oh, there were some there that day. They had one agenda, crucifying. That's what they wanted. And by the end of the week, they got what they wanted. Crucify him. And they were the ones who wanted him gone. How is it they could not see? The blindness of this day is unbelievable. Helen Keller once said, the only thing worse than being blind is being able to see and have no vision. And they could not see, had no vision of who he was. And do you realize how important it is for us to know? My prayer, if you want to know what I'm praying today and this week, every day as we read together and then next weekend for Easter, is our eyes would be opened. All of a sudden, those scales would be removed. We would see him. We would know why he came to save us from our sin, and we would turn from our sin, and we would turn to him, and we would say, Jesus, you're our hope. And literally, we would see what Bartimaeus saw. You know why it's important to see? A.W. Tozer puts it this way. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. Because if we see him as a political savior, we've missed him. If we see him as one who came just to give us more cars... To make life easier, we missed him. But there was one that day that didn't miss him. His eyes had been opened. He's a part of the he changed my life crowd. And I can imagine there were those there that followed Jesus because he literally changed their life. And one of them was named Bartimaeus. I want to show you something in your Bible. We read from Mark chapter 11. From the very beginning, verse 1, it starts setting up the triumphant entry. Look at the last verse of chapter 10. The verse just before where we started reading says, And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Who's that talking about? A man named Bartimaeus. You see, I think Bartimaeus was in the crowd that day. And I think while everybody was shouting whatever they were shouting, Bartimaeus was saying, that man saved my life. That man gave me sight. Did you know that was one of the reasons Jesus was coming? Was to give sight to the blind. Let me show you Isaiah. Isaiah, a prophet, 700 years before that day. Isaiah 42. Look at what Isaiah says about Jesus I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light to the nations to open the eyes that are blind. To bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. Hey, I'm going to just tell you what I'm thinking. I like just to think out loud with you here. I know when he healed Bartimaeus and gave him sight, that is what Isaiah saw. But let me show you another one. Bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. You know what else happened right before the triumphant entry? 
or at least somewhere in the timetable around the triumphant, you know what else happened? He called a dead man back to life. Remember Lazarus? He stood and said, Lazarus, come forth. And remember Lazarus coming out of a grave? He'd been there four days. I mean, he was already stinking what the crowd said. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come. So tell me Jesus didn't come to open our eyes and to bring us out of the dungeon called death that you don't ever have to worry about. Why? Those who believe in the Lord Jesus, yet they die they shall still live. There is this picture in Isaiah of who Jesus is. And the one that day that I know understood it was Bartimaeus. Now let's meet him. What was his story? Well, he's from Jericho. He was the town just before Jesus got to Jerusalem. It's 18 miles from Jerusalem. It's almost straight uphill to Jerusalem. So it's a very difficult walk, but it was a common walk. A lot of people. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan happened on that road. Let's read his account. It's chapter 10 of Mark. And let's start uh, in verse 46. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. A couple of things to note. Jesus is never called son of David in the gospel of Mark except here. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him. Tell him, be quiet. And he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying, hey, take heart, get up. He's calling you. Jesus wants you to come. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up. He came to Jesus and Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. There was only one other person that ever called Jesus Rabbi. And it has everything to do with Easter morning. When Mary went to the tomb and she saw what she thought was the gardener and all of a sudden she realized it was Jesus, she said, Rabboni, which means rabbi. Bartimaeus says, Rabbi, I just want to see. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well, and immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. So can you imagine Bartimaeus standing in that crowd watching Jesus come into that city? Bartimaeus used to be on the side of the road. He never got to go anywhere. Now there's some parallel accounts in Matthew, parallel account in Luke. And some of you might have read, well, it looks like in one case there's two in one case, it looks like they were coming into the city and going out. So, Pastor, which, which one of these is right? Yes, they're all right. You can't believe there was only one blind man there that day. No. Just like there's not just that story and it never happened again, there are blind people here today. I'm not saying we can't see physically, though we have some that are impaired that way. I'm talking about the heart. 
I'm talking about what Paul says. The God of this world has blinded our eyes to the truth of Jesus and who he really is. And so here's Bartimaeus. He's sitting by the road, and he's crying out. Now, the only place they could sit was out of everybody's way. And this was a road very busy because it led up to Jerusalem, and everybody's going to Passover. Uh, Josephus said a million people could have been in Passover on that particular one. 500,000, maybe some even guess as many as 2 million people. So think about how many would go to Jerusalem for Passover. And so he'd sit on the side of the road and he'd beg and he'd lay out his cloak. And so you come by and you put offerings. Except when he heard that Jesus was coming. He said, Son of David, have mercy on me. You know the only thing the Bible says that God is rich in? This is interesting to me. The only thing that the Bible says that God is rich in is mercy. Mercy. You know what that means? There's more than you'll ever need. Don't care where you've been. Don't care what you did last night or what you did last weekend or what you did 20 years ago. His grace is sufficient and His mercy is greater than your sin. His mercy is more than you need. And so in this moment, this blind beggar cries out for mercy. That's so unusual. Usually they're crying out, heal me, heal me, give me sight, give me sight. But he said, have mercy. And so as he's sitting there crying out, what's the crowd doing? Telling Bartimaeus to be quiet. Telling Bartimaeus to be quiet. I remember one Sunday, I, I, I got home and I got a letter from a mom and she said, uh, my child said you used the S word in church. And pastor, we just want you to know, we tried to explain to the child, he probably didn't mean it. I'm thinking the S word. Well, I'm not going to tell you what word came to my mind. And I'm surely I didn't say that. So I just finally had a conversation with her and I said, I'm sorry, what? What, what S word did I use? Shut up. <laughs> so I'm not going to use it. I'm going to tell you that's what they were telling Bartimaeus to shut up. They said it, not me. I'm just telling you what they said. So the truth is, they didn't want him. They were standing between this guy and Jesus. And they didn't think Jesus had time for him. They didn't, they didn't think Jesus cared for him. Again, remember, the crowds are there. It's, it's a massive crowd. And all of a sudden, this guy is yelling, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. And so they did what they thought was best. Can I just beg you as a church? Never stand between you. Never stand between Jesus and your world. Never stand between Jesus and your friends. You know, there's this sense in which sometimes we feel like we, we have to protect Jesus. He doesn't need our protecting. Can I tell you a story I ran into this week? So we've had the honor of giving Bibles to Orlando Police Department new recruits for several years. In fact, there's, we believe, maybe 60 to 70% of the force of Orlando Police Department by now have, have a Bible that has been given to them by our church. And the way we do that is because of your faithful giving. So if you don't ever think your giving matters, yes, it does. We buy these Bibles, we put the officer's name, and I get the chance to stand in front of every class of recruits 
and hand their Bibles to them, along with a coin that has the spiritual warfare passage out of Ephesians 6. So this past week, I was there and had some of, we take staff with us, and we all kind of are there and sharing. Back, Laddie shares his testimony. And so I was up there telling the story of how I came to Christ and telling why we give Bibles and why this church prays for officers and all that, and gave them the Bibles. It was really neat. Had 29 new recruits this time. And after I left, I got a call from an officer you probably know, Sean Hayden. He's been with us for a while. He and his family come here, but he was an officer with us and helped us with our detail of security years ago. In fact, he's the one that was the bridge that helped us be able to do the Bible giveaway. He called me. He said, David, they wanted me to, to speak after you left. I said, that's great. He said, yeah, I went up and got to talk about how God had changed my life, how the church had blessed me. And he said, and then I had one of the new recruits come up to me. And he said, I want to talk to you. And this is what the new recruit told Sean Hayden. He said, hey, when Pastor David was up there, I didn't listen to him. I'm like, Sean, that's why you call me. You wanted to quote him as saying, I didn't listen to Pastor David, but I listened to you, Sean. Seriously, he said, I didn't listen to him because the church has failed me. And Sean said, what do you mean? He said, I was, a, I was a young man growing up in South Florida. I was a football player. And he said, one day when practice was over, he said, I just had time to get a quick shower. And, and he said, I, had, I had, a, had a tank top on. I had blue jeans and I had tennis shoes. And he said, I just went into this church because I knew it was time for them to have their service. And he said, I went in and sat down. And a member of the church came up to me and said, sir, I'm sorry, you're not dressed appropriately to be here. We're going to ask you to leave. Then he proceeded to tell another story of a church that had failed him and disappointed him. And I'm going to tell you, Sean Hayden looked at him and said, would you give First Orlando a try? Because it's helped me and it's changed my life, and I know they won't disappoint you. And can I give you some good news? That officer and his wife are here this morning. And I just, I am so thankful for Sean and just that moment. But here's what grieves my heart. Who would tell somebody, because they got a tank top and tennis shoes and jeans, you're not dressed appropriately. Listen, here's a message to this city and Central Florida. You come any way you want to come. We have something here. We want to give you something more important than what you got on your clothes and your back. It's what's in your heart. His name is Jesus. He will change your life. He will change your life. And I think about how many times the church has been the door, I mean, been the wall, not the door to Jesus. It's like we got to be the gates. We're not the gatekeeper. We're not to keep people from Jesus. We are to say this way. There he is. But the crowd that day stood between. And then Jesus said, calling. And they said, oh, okay. And they got out of the way. They said, he's calling you. Bartimaeus goes up to him. There's this incredible moment, but I, this is the question that 
slays me. Jesus looks at him and says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, does that, does that question kind of, is that puzzling to you? You know, it used to be to me until I read more about how many times Jesus actually asked people, what do you want me to do? You know why? Because he wants you to want him to do it. And he asked him this question, not to just assume you need healing of your sight. But it was, what, what do you really want? And of course, he said, I, I want to see Rabbi. So when he called him Rabbi, I want to recover my sight. You know what I believe is happening today? Jesus is walking up to each one of us, looking us in the eye, saying, what do you want me to do for you? You know why I believe that? Because that's what he did in John chapter 5 at the pool of Bethesda. There's a bunch of people lame, wanting to get in the water, thinking it heals them. And he walks up to a cripple that had been there 38 years. And the first thing Jesus asked him was, do you want me to heal you? Can I just tell you, that's why Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens the door, I'll come in, and we're going to have fellowship together, and we're going to enjoy one another. Why would Jesus stand at the door of our heart and like a gentleman knock? He could kick the door off the hinges. He is the door. But Jesus, in his grace, wants you to want what he came to do. So God, help us open our eyes to see. Yes, Jesus, we want to see. We want to see who you are and believe in you, that you came to save us from our sin. You came to take something we could never do, our sin, and nail it to the tree. So that if we believe, we might live not just in this life, but in the life to come. And so the question is, what do you want him to do for you today? And the answer is, I want to see. I want to see. Can we just, yeah, give the Lord praise. Lord, we want to see. And we want to see who you are. So what happens? Bartimaeus jumps up, takes his cloak. You know what the cloak was for? To catch alms. He didn't need the cloak to catch alms anymore because he found Jesus. And now he runs to him. It's this beautiful moment. And the scripture says he followed him on the way. He went into that city and he watched what happened. I just think as the triumphant entry happening, there's Bartimaeus. And he's looking around at the crowd and he's saying, y'all, do you see who this is? Do you know what he can do? Maybe in the crowd that day, there was another blind man. There were a lot of blind people in that day. What if that blind man found sight too? It could have happened. I believe he wants to bring sight today. For the first time in your life, you can see. You can see who he is and what he came to do for you. And you can see life, and life makes a lot more sense. It doesn't make necessarily life better. It just makes you better at life. Because you see. And you see the way. And you're ready to follow Christ. So what would you answer if Jesus walks up to you right now and says, What do you want me to do for you? Do your eyes need to be open?
Maybe they once were, and they've been dimmed by the world. They've been dimmed by all that's going on around us, and maybe the pain you've been through and the struggles of your life, they've dimmed your eyes, and you may just need to say, Jesus, I need to see again. The great English preacher from London, Charles Spurgeon, in the 19th century, he stood in the pulpit, and he preached on Bartimaeus, and this is how he closed it. I beseech you, go home, go to your room, kneel by your bed, and by faith picture Jesus standing before you, saying, what do you want me to do for you? And imitate the blind man, Bartimaeus, in his explicitness and straightforwardness of his confession and request. Answer, Rabbi, I want to see. I want us to bow again together just for a second. I want to ask you, if that's the prayer that you would pray, if that's what you would ask Jesus today, Rabbi, can you give me sight? I want to see. I just want you to lift your hand up. I'm going to pray for you. Lift your hand up. Wow. All over this room. Now, some of you, maybe the first time you've ever asked him. Sometimes you've asked him more than once. Lord, right now, you know, you see every hand. And so, Jesus, would you open their eyes so they can see who you are and why you came to this earth and why you came into that city that day. And Jesus, open our eyes to see you are our Savior, our Lord, and our coming King. We worship you, and we will follow you in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.